0: you've got your Bibles with you this morning, if you're watching at home online, you want to get your digital advice, get your Bibles out, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10 today. Hebrews chapter 10, if it's your first time with us, your first time uh, coming along on this journey with us, we are in the second week on a sermon series called The Church Defined. It's a great time uh, for you to check in on what's going on. Uh, my name is Pastor Milo, it's so good to be with you this morning. I was away last week and got to go away on vacation with the family. Uh, we went to my in-law's place. They've got a condo about 30 minutes away from the beach. And so it was a great time uh, to be there. They also, within their uh, development, have a community pool there in their development. And so uh, when my kids would ask us, what are we going to do today? Would either, I would just kind of tell them, hey, there's going to be sun and water, sun and water. And then we're just going to repeat it. You're going to do that again uh, the next day. So one way or another, uh, we were out in the sun and we got some water as well. Rinse and repeat. And so uh, that's what we've been up to over the last week. So it's good to be back. Uh, But it wasn't all waves and sunshine. We had to actually get there and we had to actually get home. And it's a 22 hour drive uh, one way. Uh, And so uh, in our car, we have six human beings and a 60 pound dog who thinks that he's a human being. And so uh, you put all of those people in a car together and there's a lot going on there. And it's a character development process for everybody uh, involved. And so, um, so some of you have been through that stage of life and you're looking back on it, and I don't know how, but it's fond memories when you look back on that season of life. And the rest of us have no idea Uh, what you're talking about but at the same time uh, i'm a little bit farther ahead than some of you and so some of you you need to know that the best is yet to come because right now when you're driving down the interstate your child is in the back and if they're anything like ours used to be we would have a pacifier in each hand and a pacifier in the mouth to try to keep them from crying and still you'd go over a bump and you would have thought that the car seat had burst into flames uh, the way that they began crying. And so it is nice to be past that process, You know where all of a sudden their diaper explodes and you go through your entire week's worth of clothing uh, at one uh, exit on the gas, uh, a gas stop. It's just unbelievable uh, what you're going through. So some of you guys just need to know, uh, it gets better, it gets better. We had a really good time with our family on the road. Uh, it does get better. We had a great vacation. Uh, so it was good to be back. If I'm honest, I have to say that it wasn't uh, really relaxing. Uh, I don't do that very well. So we came back tired and happy. So we came, we came back tired and happy. And in my book, that's a good vacation. Uh, have you ever heard, though, about some of what's happened, particularly over the last 12 months, of people who didn't go away for vacation? They stayed home and went on a virtual vacation. Have you heard about this? Some of you are well aware of what's going on with that. So instead of taking six bicycles and a car top carrier and strapping them in every possible way you can onto your vehicle and see if it can withstand 80 mile an hour winds for a sustained amount of time, 2000 miles worth, to see what happens when you do that, they just sit in the comfort of their own home in their easy chair and they go traveling uh, in that manner. No bug bites. No sunscreen, uh, no gas station coffee, and no stop-and-go traffic with the gas light blinking on the dash. It's all virtual. The technology is really, really incredible. I think you'd agree with that. We can have a conversation over here while sitting over here in one side in a room. And if it's particularly, if it's all set up correctly where you can hear well and you can see well, you can have someone uh, sitting over here on the other side of the globe uh, with a similar setup. If it's really good, really good sound. And it seems like you could actually be sitting across from one another at the dinner table and talking to one another. But it is a far cry, I think you would agree. It is a far cry from from going to the airport, getting in a plane, flying around the globe, landing in that city, and going to someone on the other side of the world, sitting actually across from them at the dinner table of that loved one and having the very same conversation. Just as much as going on a virtual vacation cannot take the place of actually going on vacation. Do you know that there are people talking through the possibilities of virtual church? The possibilities of virtual church. They're actually saying that right now people are asking the questions, particularly in what we've been through over the last year. Does the church need a physical building to do ministry? Can the church exist with a digital only footprint where there's no actual space? Could this be a better use of God's resources? Could we steward ourselves better by being a virtual church? And it's a question that's drawn even more attention, certainly over this last year, when we are actually experiencing a lot of our lives through a screen. And so as we do that, it's actually made this question seem feasible. On Wikipedia, there's actually a page called Virtual Church. It defines it this way. Virtual Church, also called Internet Church or Online Church or Cyber Church or Digital Church, refers to a wide variety of ways that Christian religious groups can use the internet to facilitate their religious activities, particularly activities like prayer, biblical discussion, preaching, and worship services, virtual church. But what if all of eHarmony was boiled down, and, and all of a sudden all that you had in eHarmony was reduced down to simply a Zoom call? So if all of your online dating culminated in a Zoom call, that all happened in a virtual world and nothing happened in a physical world, don't you think that you would come to the conclusion that there is something dissatisfying about that relationship? There would be something missing. I mean, I met my wife in high school, and that's good, and we got to know each other that way. And many of you uh, met your spouse or met your loved one in a very different way. Maybe it wasn't an online platform, and that's fine. But don't you think you'd be dissatisfied if that's as far as it ever went. It just doesn't make sense. A virtual church, a non-gathering gathering. How do we put those two together? All right, so I want to be clear. I'm not actually interested in like piling on churches around the world who had to make a tough decision in this kind of COVID moment. had to kind of go through and think through the lens as we did here of how to do live stream, how to do services, how to connect with people at home when we were not able to be together. This room only had three pastors in it for a number of weeks as we were trying to figure out how to balance that relationship. We did all of those things. But this moment of COVID should be pressing us to ask our questions a little bit more carefully. Can virtual churches exist? You see, while the technology is ready, the technology has actually been there for a number of years. Online gaming has been uh, something that's uh, been hot for a long time. Actually, I was talking to Sam Reyes during the break. there's actually an online church in Washington, D.C. for gamers, so it's like online gaming church. But does that make any sense? Does that work? Because now people are actually thinking about it, not just in a really small slice of the population, but trying to think large and say, can we do this? Can virtual churches really exist? And the answer is yes and no. Yes in the sense that the two words do exist. When you put them together, virtual church, I actually do know what is being communicated. I do understand what is happening, that you're taking these two worlds, a pretty good understanding of what you mean when you say virtual church. But no, in the sense of when we look at Scripture, when we look at the Bible, and we look to see what the church is and what it's meant to be, virtual church just doesn't seem to fill in the blank, the qualifications that Scripture is asking of us through telecommunications. It's just not going to work. The trouble is, as I understand it, the trouble is that we cannot simply have the appearance of gathering together. We actually do need to be gathered together in a joint fashion to come together with one another. And we get those words oftentimes together in Scripture, the gathering of one another together. I think people generally understand that we can't uh, do, we do large conferences, we do uh, summer camp uh, environments, we do effective campus ministry, uh, we go on a marriage retreat. We go and we have an event and at that event there is a preacher who speaks. or someone who, who teaches God's word. And at that event there's elements of worship or hymn singing or, or or praise songs that are being sung. All of those elements are there. Sometimes you break out into small groups at this conference. Uh, but none of us really ever come back from that conference saying that was church, or we shouldn't anyway. And we shouldn't do that as well with this idea of trying to interconnect with one another across the web and try to call that church. This telecommunications version of connection is not actually biblically what church was meant to be. And again, I want to be careful because I don't believe that this has been done Maliciously, It's part of a descriptive word that we're trying to put together and frame something that we've never seen before, never interacted with before. And, and so when we have to kind of create a new vernacular, like for instance, if, if you've got a loved one who's in a nursing home you, and you can't go physically to see them, you have a virtual visit there with them at the nursing home. But we all would agree that there's something missing. There's something different. There's something that has been substituted for an actual visit with that person. It's a substitute for the real thing. The question is, is whether unwittingly is something being smuggled into our vernacular, something different, a redefinition of the church, the local church, the body of Christ. I know I've got you holding your finger there in, in Hebrews chapter 10, but I want to read you something uh, in just a second. We will get there, but I want you to read you something that Jesus says when he's talking to his disciples in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, he says, "For one, or excuse me, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. The word here in the original language is Jesus is explaining it when Jesus is describing those two or three people who are gathering together in the original language. In the Greek, as he is speaking in Greek, he uses the word ecclesia. Now, if you've grown up in the church or have any level of biblical uh, understanding that's a little bit deeper and you've studied some of these words before, you're familiar with this word because it's the same word, the Greek root word that we get translated into English for the word church. Ecclesia. And so being gathered together with two or three is Jesus putting the words together even in that sentence when he is saying, when two or three are gathered together in my name, he's calling this an ecclesia, there I am. He says, in the midst of them, I'm there with them. He's saying this very specifically, very intentionally. Gathered together, there I am. Even the definition of the word I am. Now now God has called himself I am all through the Old Testament. Now, But I am is now available to when two or three are gathered together. I realize, I understand your eyes are starting to roll back in the back of your head. I'm I'm belaboring this point. I'm over pushing and pushing it to the point. But I want us to see that in this kind of COVID environment, this COVID moment that we're at, this situation that we're in is a situation that our church here, Randall Church, 6301 Main Street, nearly 200 years old, never ever had to deal with before. This heritage of faith would have never considered the space that we're in right now. While there are some people who are liking the convenience of being able to check in from home, to be on vacation and check in, and then to be away and still be able to tune in and feel like they're a part of what's going on. Others are actually looking at things and are, are actually really aware of something that is lacking. And it forces us to consider, what is that? Or why is that? You see, when life throws challenges at people, and when life throws challenges at the church, it forces us to take a moment and to reflect On God's Word. It takes a moment to tell us and see what is it that we actually believe. So what is it that we actually believe about the church? And how do we define church? I'm glad you asked. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Thanks for your patience. We're going to begin in verse 19. Hebrews 10 verse 19 says this. Therefore, Brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is, his body— and since we have a great priest over the house of God, verse 22, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Having our heart sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up on meeting together as some have become in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day or the day of the Lord approaching. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We pray that it would challenge us. We pray that we would be encouraged uh, by it. Lord, it was sharper than a two-edged sword that it would pierce us this morning and change us because of the work that you are doing here in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The book of Hebrews is written to the first century group of believers who are under intense persecution. They are going through difficult things. They are feeling the looming clouds of opposition all around them. This is the, the early church. And in many ways, the book of Hebrews is like one long sermon that just kind of goes through and encourages and warns and, and extols the followers of Jesus that they need to be faithful while enduring hardship. And some of the strongest language we find in Scripture, the strongest warnings we find in the New Testament, uh, are, are here in the book of Hebrews. And yet some of the most eloquent verses having to do with the supremacy of Christ and the beautiful thing and the mystery of Christ and what's been accomplished on the cross. So in chapters 8 through 10, if you're familiar with this, uh, we go through just this beautiful and and in Christ-exalting chapters of really what has happened. If you were here a couple years back, at this same time of year, uh, coming out of Easter and going into the next kind of spring season, we preached a sermon series uh, that we called A Better Way and looked at these very chapters of Hebrews chapter 8 through 10, and, and we talked about how Jesus is a better mediator, how Jesus is a better sacrifice, how Jesus is a better high priest. And so here in chapter 10, the writer of Hebrews, he kind of addresses the gathering of God's people. And he's going to kind of summarize, or she may, uh, summarize exactly uh, what's going on. So the verses that I just read give us two distinct purposes for why would we gather together for worship. And here's the first purpose. We gather to rehearse the gospel. We gather to rehearse the gospel the author here is, is summarizing the beauty of the gospel and telling us that because of Jesus, it says there is a new and a living way that is open to us through the curtain through the curtain. We just came through Good Friday and we talked about how as Jesus hung there on the cross and he he gave his life for you and for me over in the temple, the curtain was torn in two from top to bottom, scripture tells us. It was torn and rent in two. And then when Mary Magdalene came, resurrection morning, when she came to the tomb, what was the question that she was asked? She was asked the question, why seek you the living among the dead? Why are you looking in a grave for someone who is alive? You see, there is a new way that has been opened for us. His name is Jesus. And there is a living way that is open to us, and his name is Jesus. That curtain in the most holy place was representing something. It was representing the barrier or the, the chasm that exists between the God of the universe and humanity. This huge chasm that is between the two, they had an enormous space, like an enormous wall or an enormous curtain. The curtain in the temple was the size of this room, way enormous, that you could never get through. And you cannot span that gap or you cannot push yourself through that curtain with all of your religiosity or all of your morality. You cannot get to the other side of that chasm. And in the same way, God, being God, is saying, I'm not going to snap my fingers either and say, you know what, don't worry about it, just come on over or just come on through. No, God is saying there must be a sacrifice. There must be a perfect sacrifice in order for you to come through the curtain or come across that chasm. A debt must be paid. And millions of people assume that if there is a God, That if there is a God, he must be a God who accepts and affirms and allows everybody to just come and be who they are. But such a God is not the God of the Bible. That's actually a God who's really a figment of our imagination. Because in order to gain access to God, there must be payment. There must be a sacrifice, a perfect and living sacrifice. And his name is Jesus. And what this means is that not 1,000 years, not 1,500, 2,000 years now, since Jesus has, has been raised from the dead, that he is a living sacrifice. That means that he is always fresh on the mind of God. That we have a mediator who is there with God right now. Even though it happened centuries ago, the gospel is not stale, it's alive. It means that there's a living Jesus who is ushering us into the very presence of God. See, this is the gospel that we rehearse again and again. Not only do we have access, but through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, as it says here, we can be bold. We can approach with confidence. We can approach the maker of the universe and walk right in. When we come together and when we assemble together as believers, when we gather together There are two distinct purposes for why that happens. First, we gather together to rehearse the gospel. And the second distinct reason is that we gather together to respond to the gospel. So we gather together to rehearse the gospel, yes, but we also are gathering together to respond to the gospel because we have received the gift of Jesus Christ. We learn in John 3, 16, we've received this precious gift. But now, how how are we going to respond? What is it that we are going to do? In other words, if the gospel is true, like the Bible says that it is, then what should we do now? And the author of Hebrews gives us the answer in verses 22 through 25. Here we will see three let us statements. Not let us, but let us statements that are here. Let us draw near, says verse 22. Let us hold fast, says verse 23. And then verse 24 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another along. So these three words, draw near, hold fast, spur on. Draw near, hold fast, spur on. Let's talk first about draw near. So, so this is a divine invita- invitation to be brought near to God's presence. The phrase draw near was often used in Scripture to be able to talk about sacred moments. When Abraham is told to come to Mount Sinai, he is told to draw near. When Moses is there in the wilderness and, and there's a, a burning bush, he is told to, to come near, to draw near. When the people of Israel assemble uh, and they are told to come and see the tabernacle and that the holiness and the glory of God would, would reside there in the tabernacle, they were told to draw near. Uh, when the church, as they consider themselves and they talked about themselves, they said to be uh, taken from the world to come and draw near, be the called out ones, come out from the world, be drawn near. You see that worship and his, his historical roots is all about drawing near. And if we dig a little bit more, we also will see that it means to continually come, to be continually drawing near. So no matter how young you are or no matter how old you are or no matter how long you've been a Christian or how long you've been searching or how long you've been on the run if you are a prodigal child on the run and how many years you've been on the run how many years you've been wandering the invitation is still there it's still true the invitation is to come to be drawn near you don't come to worship because you've been perfect last week you come to worship because you believe in a savior who is perfect on your behalf. You don't come to worship to see your friends, to sing the songs that you like, or to hear a pastor preach a message that makes you feel good. No, you come because you are meeting with God. You are drawing near. You don't come because you're just chopping around to see what different churches are like. You come because you're coming to be cleansed. You are a cleansed sinner. You don't come for what you get out of the service. You come because of what has already been done for you. And so you come and draw near. Secondly, we're told to hold fast. Hold fast to hope. Hope's a funny thing. We can lose it, can't we? Perhaps that's why the author of Hebrews is very descriptive here about it. We're to hold fast. We are to never waver in our hope. So picture yourself holding on to something, white-knuckled, because indeed the reality of this world, the reality of situations, the reality of the seasons that many of us have gone through, many of you are in right now, is this holding on, latching on in this season to hope. Because it's all that you have. See, this world, the fleshly desires of this world are trying to pull and pry your fingers away to disrupt your hope. But God has been abundantly faithful to you and to me. He has never forgotten about you. He's never decided that there's someone more important than you. He's never given up on you and he's never put anyone in a priority status in front of you. In fact, scripture tells us that the last will be first and the first will be last, he says. I'm gonna make sure that I'm caring for you. And your hope in him, he says, would never be displaced. Draw near, hold fast. And then thirdly, spur one another on. God uses brothers and sisters of Christ to grow one another. Some of your translations will say to, to stir up or to provoke or to spur one another on. Now, I came from a background with horses. I understand what it means to spur a horse on. You get that horse to move. You provoke that horse uh, to move forward. There is a pushing. There is a prodding. There is something that is uncomfortable about what is being shared here. Now, now it doesn't happen in our church, but I'm sure there are churches that you've been a part of where you have been provoked at times, that you have been pushed along. You've been prodded along in a way that makes you angry, and it's in a negative sense. That's not actually what it's talking about here. It wouldn't happen in this church, I know that. Just other churches. So being provoked or being prodded or being stirred up or being spurred forward to do what? To draw close to God. That we would be looking outward, that we would be looking for others as iron sharpens iron. The book of Proverbs tells us that we'd be looking for those and serving around those and helping those who would also be willing to persevere in their trials, persevere in their service, persevere in their drawing close to God. So as you look here, I want you to notice something that's called the Pauline triad. You know how often in Paul's writings you'll read this combination of three things, of faith faith of hope and of love. The most memorable example of this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, where it says, so now faith and hope and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So here, notice this, circle this in your Bibles. Notice here, verse 22, the word faith. Notice in verse 23, the word hope. Notice in verse 24, the word love. This is a strong argument that scholars use to say whoever the author of Hebrews was, we're not sure who he or she is, they were probably a student of Paul because he was always teaching this. His, his, his Pauline tried, he wanted them to know, wanted them to understand how faith, hope, and love are applied in all the ways in our lives. At any rate, this triad of faith, hope, and love culminates, interestingly enough, in this challenge to come together in corporate Worship. Isn't it interesting that the specific application that is given from us encouraging one another, for us to be living in faith and in hope and in love, is given specifically for the assembling of ourselves together. We should know, and many of you do know, that it's a discouragement when, when brothers and sisters in Christ do not come together. See, we are created to be a family Jesus says we are adopted children of God. It's part of our personal growth and part of our call to come and to serve. And we must continue to be in fellowship with other believers. We should not neglect the meeting, uh, uh, the assembling of ourselves together. We need one another. Desperately, we need one another. We are not created to be... Alone. There's all types of research going on right now about what this last year has meant for people from a psychoanalyst standpoint of what it looks like to be alone, how damaging that is. Friends, that's the local church as well. Even more so when we talk about the body of Christ. We were not meant to be isolated. We were created to function together as the body of Christ. Ephesians chapter four puts it this way in verse four. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, the father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We are meant to be together, friends. We are meant to be one. Like I said our family took a vacation last week, went to the beach. Not a virtual vacation, an actual vacation. I got sunburned. It peeled off. <laughs> but on our vacation this week, we enjoyed the sun, we enjoyed the sand, we enjoyed the waves. In my newsfeed, there came a, a story that came through in my newsfeed this week that caught my attention because it happened just a couple hours away from where we were uh, last week. Weekend at the same time about two hours away from there There's this young person who's enjoying the day much like our kids probably were last week They were enjoying the day and what happened was then the waves started coming in They they had swam out and they swam out to the sandbar That's a little ways out there and then they had struggled to get back And then another young person went out and they helped them get back and helped to put them on a float and send them back in But then they got stranded out there and something happened there that day because they were so close within visual distance, but they were still so far away. And with every stroke, with every moment, they were getting more tired and and the waves were coming in and crashing on them and, and throwing them around. And something happened that I find particularly special. Something happened where people there on the shore came together and they accomplished something together that they could have never done alone. It's really a beautiful thing to see as they form a human chain to go out and to rescue this person. Why don't you take a look? (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful, isn't it? The dad who's on the shore, the parents that are on the shore, they would love to reach out and be able to pull their child back to safety. But they can't. And so what happens is the body comes together and extends that arm all the way out to be able to rescue that person. Ephesians chapter five, verse 15 puts it this way. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So don't be filled with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Speaking to one another with what? With psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing, make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, there are all types of things. In this world, that will pull you back and forth. The waves will come in and they will knock you off your feet, and you think you're going to be okay to swim back to shore, but you're not going to be able to make it. And so, what you need, as things are going in every direction, you need to know that there are people who are drawing near, holding fast, and spurring one another on towards you. So you may be watching this morning. We, we certainly are streaming here this morning, and we record our service, so this will be shared via podcast this week. So you're going to get this one way or another, whether it's in person or later. Friends, it's time for you to come back to church. It's time for you to come back. This, this virtual thing, this, this online dating relationship, it works for a short amount of time, but it needs to go somewhere. We need to be uh, more than that. And it's a great augmentation for what the church is doing, but it is not a substitution for what the church looks like in Scripture. And so we need you to come back. We want you to come back, and we're doing all that we can for things to be as safe as they possibly can. All the safety measures that are there when you go to the grocery store or there when you go to the hardware store or there when you go to a restaurant, we're doing it. We're making sure that it's safe, but you need to come back. You need to come and be gathered together with fellow believers in Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ. And if by some chance you're listening today and you, you're partnered with or you're in covenant with another body of Christ, another uh, relationship, uh, we, we need you to go back. Go back to church there. There's something missing in that church, in that expression of the body of Christ by you not being there. The local body, that local expression is incomplete without you. It's time for you to re-engage. And if you're here this morning, you're sitting in the room, you're listening to my voice, and you're thinking, yeah, preacher boy, you get them." There's something here for you as well. Let me remind you of this, today's challenge is twofold. We are not here simply to gather, to rehearse the gospel. That is part of why we are here, but we are not here just to rehearse the gospel because what is the end in that? No, we need to spur one another on. We need to prod and push one another on towards the fellowshipping of one another together in love and in good deeds. We gather to respond to the gospel, not to rehearse the gospel. So this morning, the challenge is, will you draw near? Let us draw near. Let us hold fast. Let us spur one another along. And all the more as we see the day of the Lord approaching. Dear Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that you are challenging us here this morning. Lord, it's my prayer today that that this will increase, this message will increase our love for you as our Savior. Lord, it's my prayer that it would be an encouragement to the faith. Lord, death, sin, sickness, every form of evil will be done away with on that day when Jesus returns. So we pray for that return. We pray for you to come and establish your kingdom. No more tears, no more pain, no more despair. We're gathered here this morning to rehearse the truths and the promises of the gospel, Lord. Lord, we also pray that we would be gathered so that we would respond to the gospel. We love you, Lord Jesus. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Lord, I come. me